there's something about dealing with the turbulence and the uncertainties of life. And you learn to navigate those things if you keep the Lord in the forefront. I mean, it's just it's just the way that it is. And it gives you a unbelievable peace, an unbelievable strength and an uncanny way to to see life from a different perspective. Well, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. I am Jonathan, your content producer over at Stay Forth Designs, and I am excited to dig into today's episode with you. We have very practical conversations here on the podcast, and our hope and wish is that within each episode, you will find some nugget that you can take with you and you can apply to your life and leadership wherever you are along your journey that will help you take a practical next step towards getting healthy so that you can reach more impact. We believe that. You'll hear us say it time and time again, whether it's on this podcast or videos or content or written, whatever it is, you're going to hear us repeat these words that we want to help you get healthy so that you can reach more impact. And I believe wholeheartedly that today's conversation is a super practical one that's going to help you do that because we are having a great talk about high performance mindset and habits. This one hits home for me back in January, which seems like a decade ago now. I made the conscious effort to dig into my life and invest in some areas and creating good habits that unbeknownst to me at the time, by pushing into these areas, were going to bleed over into other areas and elevate my overall health so that I wasn't just getting healthy in one area. These keystone habits, if you will, uh, actually affected every aspect of my life and leadership. So seven months or a decade later, however you want to look at it, I'm not where I was before. Um, I feel better. I'm leading better. And it's because I made the conscious effort to invest in creating some good habits. And a quote that I love is by a guy named James Clear. And he says that the cost of our good habits is now and the cost of our bad habits is in the future. And I totally believe that the cost of our good habits is right now. And the cost of our bad habits is in the future. Because if we want to take next steps towards getting healthy, we're going to have to say no to some things and say yes to investing in ourselves, investing in our leadership. And that requires a cost now. If we don't do anything, we can stay where we are. We can we can continue in overwhelm. We can continue spinning our wheels. And the cost of those bad habits, there is a there is somewhat of a cost now, but the result or the ultimate cost of that is in the future because we'll never get where we want to go. We'll never, you know, climb the mountain, so to speak. So I could talk about this for hours. The last thing I want to let you know before we jump into today's episode is we have a bit of an announcement to make to help you get healthy. We see a big wave of burnout coming this fall, and we want to help you and help leaders all around the world overcome this and avoid burnout and reduce overwhelm. So we have created the Healthy Leaders Summit to help you get healthy and reach more impact. I'm not going to give you much more information than that, but I am going to ask you to head over to www.healthyleaders with an S summit.com for more information. That's healthyleadersummit.com for more information. We will put that link in the show notes. Save the date. It's October 5th through 8th, 2020. We're going to have a bunch of forward-thinking practitioners and thought leaders covering all aspects of healthy leadership. You can attend alone or with a team right from the comfort of your own home. We are very excited about this. This has been a long time in the making, and we can just now release a preview of what is in store for the Healthy Leaders Summit 2020. You can find more information for that at Healthy Leaders, that's plural, 
healthyleadersummit.com. Healthyleadersummit.com. The link will be in the show notes. Now, without further ado, I am going to be quiet and I'm going to refill my coffee and sit back and get ready for our conversation where Alan sits down with the amazing Charmis Lee for a wonderfully practical conversation on high performance mindset and habits. So enjoy this conversation. Charmis, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Alan, it's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. And really, uh, what's interesting is that we met, you know, maybe shook a hand many years ago. And I just kind of admired you the way that you talk with people at the coffee shop, uh, where they're reading your Bible and just kind of the non anxious presence that you had knowing the staff many years ago. Uh, and then through a friend, God brought us really back together. And we sat down over a next cup of coffee. And you shared your story. You have a pretty incredible story. We're going to hear about that later. God's using you to inspire and transform a lot of lives. Um, but I'm curious right now in this season, Charmis, what's changed for you during COVID and this season of quarantine? Well, you know, Alan, it's really been an interesting time these last, I'm going to say, four to six weeks. And for us, at least for my, my wife and myself and our company, it's given us a rare opportunity to pause and reflect on life and to actually accomplish many, many things. You know, scripture says that to be still and know that I'm God. And this is kind of an interesting thing for us where we've kind of been forced to be still. Um, you know, our company is still doing very well. Our faith is, um, they say we have a third world faith because as an entrepreneur, you get used to the turbulent and uncertain times and you really have to trust in God. So I'd say this. It's really been a season for us of growth. Um, I've had to learn to do things that I'm not very accustomed with, such as social media and things like that. I've had to make a shift. And it's really been a blessing in so many ways to not be able to get out into the world and be part of the static and some of the distractions. So I would say in this season for my household and the people that I'm affiliated with, it's been more of a blessing than it has been a burden. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm hearing that from a lot of leaders right now. And I think we're almost, uh, we almost don't want to admit that. Obviously, we don't love the loss of life. We hate it. We don't love that businesses, so many businesses are struggling, especially small local businesses. But let's be honest, we all needed a reset. We all needed to reflect and to ponder. And it, it's as if, you know, life being canceled, sports being canceled, so many things I realize, wow, like I have some margin. And I think there's some wise and discerning leaders like yourself, Charmus, that will use that in different ways and will reinvest that back into kingdom work and in their businesses and ultimately into coaching other leaders, equipping people. And then there are other people that I think will waste most of the time on Netflix and social media. And I, I really think the discerning in this moment will really grow through this time and the season. So, man, I line up really closely um, with what you're talking about. We've seen a ton of blessings from this time and this season. Um, Charmus, why don't you take us back? I was blown away by the adversity that you fought through to, to now be in a space where you're helping others fight through adversity. Talk a little bit about some of the pain and the adversity that you had growing up. Well, you know, Alan, I would say that my life has been unique on many levels, and it may not be unique to others, but from the perspective of now a 58-year-old male um, who God has really blessed with some unique opportunities, it's really been quite a journey of self-discovery and also understanding the power of Christ. 
So I believe that my family moved to Colorado Springs, I believe is probably 1963, which makes me a native of, of Colorado Springs. Um, and I think that my childhood was, was typical with the exception of a couple of things. We were raised in the hillside community area, which was a pretty demanding area. And in the 60s, of course, you had a lot of things going on. You had some racial challenges and you had many other situations that could, you know, put you in a precarious position pretty, pretty early. I really didn't recognize any of those challenges until I was about 12 years old. And part of that was just based on the fact that I had great parents. Um, I loved sports, so I was kind of distracted with those things, but also empowered with those things. But right around the age of 12, I began to realize that life wasn't as simple as I wanted it to be. And my dad made a poor choice one day by accident, and you know, my mom ends up getting shot. So that was one of the first challenges that I, I faced. Um, I had to come to terms with frustration, anger, fear, guilt, many other things right around the age of 12. And um, it's amazing how God will use an experience like that to prepare you for what goes on in your future life. And I would say, Alan, when that occurred in my life, it really did shift my trajectory as a young person to begin to, I'm going to say, experience life from a different view. About a year and a half later, my, um, my older brother, he ended up making a poor choice, and he, he shot a young man who ended up dying. And he was the youngest man to go to the state penitentiary here in Colorado at the age of either 15 or 16. So again, there was these, these couple of challenges early in my life where they kind of, I'm going to use the term, gave me a different perspective, and maybe even I began to see life from a different lens. So instead of being able to continue along the journey, such as a 12, 13, 14-year-old to enjoy the sports, go to school, hang out with friends and things like that, my life took a, a left turn pretty quick. Um, there was a bit of retaliation from the, uh, some of the people that were associated with the gentleman my brother shot. And I was sitting in front of the house one day with my mom. And Alan, I have to tell you, the most amazing thing occurred. We had a 75 Dodge Polara, and it was blown up directly in front of our house. That was an indication that we needed to um, leave the city. So my dad had to make a very difficult decision at that point in time. He decided that we needed to move back to Houston for the safety of the family. My brother was already, already incarcerated. And, you know, Alan, I made a choice, and I'm not sure if it was the best choice back then, but I made a choice. I ended up running away from home, and my parents, they had to leave, my parents and my other siblings. So they went to Texas, and I lived on the streets for about a year and a half here in Colorado Springs. So for me, 13 and a half, 14 and 15 were a different journey than the typical teenager. I would just say that. And in that time, you know, Alan, I learned a lot of things. You know, I learned the power of struggle. Um, I made a lot of mistakes during that time frame. Um, I lost my sense of self as well. And, you know, many, 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 many things happened along that way. But I would just say even at an early age, Alan, I learned that the trials that we encounter introduce us to our strengths. And I've also learned that sometimes we make choices that will change our lives, but sometimes or other times, it can be the choices of others that will create a circumstance that will change our lives. 
my early growth as a young person, it gave me the perspective, um, the way that I would see people who would struggle in life and things like that. I had compassion. I had empathy. But I also learned to survive. Um, and in those in those uh, couple of years when I was living on the streets and Alan, I was still going to still going to school. I was still making decent grades, not good grades. But I lost a lot of other things in that transition and ultimately end up going to high school in Houston, Texas. So how did those years shape your next season of life, Charmus? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I'd say this. Well, number one, it, I became pretty tenacious. Um, I had a tenacious spirit even as a, before any of these things happened when it came to sports and stuff like that, and even in academics. I mean, I had a very tenacious spirit. I would say much like David in a way where, you know, I would be fully assertive to try to accomplish the goals I had in front of me. So whether it was academic, it could be athletic or, or having a girlfriend, whatever the case may be. So I think it amplified those things. When I was in Houston, um, sports was, became my sanctuary. And I, I played at a very, very strong level as a high school athlete, um, was pretty successful down there. But I also was still trying to find myself, trying to find my footing. The change from the, um, the culture in Colorado Springs to Houston, Texas was completely different. So that was pretty demanding. It, it kind of took somewhat of a toll. Um, and it, it made things a little bit more difficult, difficult on me as well. My desire was to go to college on a football or track and field scholarship. But, you know, my senior year, I was ruled ineligible based on the fact that I had came to Houston, Texas from Colorado. And I had played a varsity sport in Colorado Springs and I transitioned into a varsity sport in Houston, Texas. So that really derailed me as a high school senior. I actually quit school my senior year. I went to work. <laughs> You know, I made some poor choices and I ended up going back to school about six months later and graduated um, with my with my um, my class at Sam Houston Senior High School. But I would say for my next season overall, you know, I did a lot of wandering. You know, I, I did a lot of um, journeying and trying to figure out the best approaches to life. But ultimately, you know. I'm 50, I'll be 59 in August, Alan, and what I can say is this, that next season of my life, it was very, very turbulent, but I was introduced to God's strength on a totally different level. I mean, completely different level. And that mindset and that framework for decision-making, I mean, it was, it was amazing to see some of the things that occurred. So I guess the short way to answer your question is the way it showed up in the next season was... Um, it really just kind of gave me a different kind of a strength, a different kind of a strength. And I, I began to really come to terms with the power of Christ in a different way. So right now you get the opportunity to coach really high capacity leaders, sports leaders, business leaders, education leaders. So what was that path from struggling and really overcoming to now getting the opportunity to not only inspire, but walk alongside and coach leaders? Great question, Alan. Well, I'd say this. Um, in 1988, I started coaching track and field at a, at a junior high school here in Colorado Springs, right? I made the transition back to Colorado Springs from Houston, Texas, and I got involved in coaching. 
And it was an amazing, amazing journey to coach young people. For me, it was, it was more about teaching them the four life cycles, survival, stability, success, and significance, which you and I know that they're going to exist in various times of our lives. So as a young coach, you know, I learned a lot about myself and I also learned how to motivate young people. I also worked at the Colorado School of Springs for the Deaf and Blind for about six years during that time frame. And I'm telling you, Alan, it was one of the most amazing experiences that I had because I had to learn quickly how to pay attention to people's body language and what they were saying without saying much. My younger brother was um, was deaf. He contracted spinal meningitis on the plane back from Tokyo, Japan, where I was born. And we had to learn sign language at an early age, so I was already skilled in that area. But kind of a long story shorter, being a coach, and I've been a coach now for over 32 years and eclipsed the 10,000-hour rule two and a half times. And I've had a chance to work with some, some athletes in the highest level of sport. I was able to take the background from coaching and develop success models that would work in the corporate, athletic, and academic arena. And it was just one of those things that, that had happened over a period of time. I'm thinking that probably about 14 years into my coaching career, you know, the Lord began to kind of push me in a, diff in a different direction. It wasn't that I wasn't supposed to coach, but I was supposed to coach with a different passion and purpose. And I began to long to create more impact in this world. Even though I was coaching and I was working and things like that, um, I was only impacting a few people at a time. And, you know, the Lord put something on my heart one day. I think it was 2010. And I was, I was at a practice with a group of junior high students. And they were junior high girls at a local junior high school here. And I asked them a question, Alan. The question was, how many of you wake up in the morning and you are optimistic about life? And I was encouraged by the Lord. I just kind of got a nudge by the Lord to ask that question because their body language, their paraverbals, which is something I learned from being at the school for the deaf and blind, it looked like they were defeated. And Alan, when I asked the question, how many of you are optimistic or excited about life when you wake up in the morning? Only one young lady raised her hand. And there were 81 students there. So I thought maybe they didn't understand. They didn't understand the question. So I said, so let me define pessimism and optimism. And I asked him again. And Alan, only one person raised their hand. And on that day, I was introduced to what the Lord really wanted me to do with this life that he'd given me. Um, so that was kind of the start of building champions, my company. So I asked the head coach that, that day, Alan. Can I begin to speak with the students and can I do a few things to maybe improve overall productivity? Couldn't bring the Lord into it, but I was going to be a direct, direct reflection of Christ no matter what. So we begin to work on mental fortitude. And Alan, I have to tell you, within two and a half weeks, the team's whole mantra changed, their whole personality and the swag changed. In fact, this team went on to win the, the uh, middle school classic and they had won this in 73 years with this same group of girls. And I knew I was onto something. And to be able to impact that group was fantastic. Later that summer, Alan, the Lord put it on my heart, you know, to increase impact, but he didn't tell me how to. So something kind of encouraged me to write a book. Well, the summer of 2011, 
I took five weeks off work, which is absolutely kind of insane when you're an entrepreneur. And I sat at the coffee house and I put together the contents of my first book, Hiding in Plain Sight. And Alan, it took five weeks, about four hours a day. Um, and it was really an interesting time. And that's, that was kind of the birth of the first book that we wrote. The purpose in writing that first book, Alan, was really just to reach people that I could never reach from a coaching perspective or be involved in their lives in a face-to-face -face kind of a meeting, but to find ways to, or distribution channels to introduce people to Christ in a different way. So that was kind of the take on the first action that, uh, first or second action that um, got me writing. And, you know, Alan, I would say this too. So when we look at my, kind of like the second chapter of my life, I still had challenges. My youngest son, he lost his battle against sickle cell anemia in 1998. And it was one of the toughest times in my life. Um, I went through a divorce. I went through a loss of job and I lost my sense of self. So I was a 42 year old man who had lost his sense of self and had nothing else to stand on. And if it weren't for the challenges that I had faced when I was younger, and the Lord actually sending me an angel to help me navigate that journey. I don't know how things would have turned out. But again, what the Lord showed me again was another a new way to look at life. And that new way was to, okay, what is your next level going to be? So the Lord rescued me because I was on the precipice of disaster, quite honestly. Precipice of greatness or the precipice of disaster, one or the other. Um, so from that experience, again, that taught me again the power of Christ, and it introduced me to some things from the mental perspective, and I began to really study neuroscience. And then there was a direct parallel between what the Lord had said and some of the things that the neuroscientists were saying. Basically, as a man thinketh, so is he, and you know, as we speak, we create all kinds of things like that. So I really got deep into that. Next thing you know, Alan, um, my company, Building Champions, is is gaining some traction. I've written five books up to that point, and man, we're we're gaining momentum. So the trials that I went through as a young person and the trials that I went through in my second chapter, we simply put together some comprehensive strategies that are really faith-based that we can implement into the corporate, athletic, and academic arena and effectively change lives. So, you know, we look at things today, and I had a chance to, to speak with some folks about this whole COVID-19 thing. And again, the fact that we're entrepreneurs and Alan, you're an entrepreneur yourself. There's something about dealing with the turbulence and the uncertainties of life. And you learn to navigate those things if you keep the Lord in the forefront. I mean, it's just it's just the way that it is. And it gives you a unbelievable peace an unbelievable strength and an uncanny, you know, um, way to, to see life from a different perspective, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think entrepreneurs at the core literally solve a problem that somebody has. And it doesn't always pay money, but they solve a problem. So maybe a spiritual entrepreneur is saying, how does God speak into this already existing problem that the world has? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a culture of, you know, people freaking out or self-destructing because of that deep anxiety right now, but I'm seeing people say, this is an opportunity right now in the moment. What does this look like? And how do we, in the midst of crisis, lead with a non-anxious presence? 
Um, and I want to dig into coaching for just a minute there, Charmis. I love having another coach here on the podcast. We have a lot of life leadership and ministry coaches who listen. Our team is in process of expanding uh, from five to who knows how many uh, in this next season because we believe there's going to be a great need uh, for health coaching, uh, leaders who are heading toward burnout and overwhelm. Uh, and so I'm just curious for you, what are a couple factors you think that it takes for somebody to be a good coach in any sphere? Well, I think you have to. The first thing is that, you, you know, you have to have some knowledge and skills and ability to coach, whether it's in the athletic arena, academic or corporate, or to be a life coach or whatever it is. Um, you, you can't you can't teach what you don't know. And the other part or another part to it would be. I think we have to be open minded as coaches and be continuous learners and but also be very discerning about what we are learning. I mean, there's a lot of information out there in the athletic arena um, that I just don't agree with. So I don't coach my athletes in that capacity. And, you know, Alan, my background now is I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist. I'm a certified registered exercise physiologist. I'm a level three USA track and field coach. I've met the criteria to coach at the Olympic level. So when I, when I look at coaching, I see coaching from a high performance perspective. I think in terms of, I look at old models and if there's something that's not working, then I simply don't, I, I don't do it. I don't stay with traditional models. I will create a model that's going to work. I think it's important that you surround yourself with people who are willing to learn and also who can mentor you or or me or us through these processes as well there's always somebody out there who has gone the journey that we've gone before us and someone else's experience is oftentimes the best teacher um i also would say this don't get buffaloed by the experts you know what was what was truth yesterday may not be truth today in any of these arenas so for example when I look at some of the simple things that we teach our clients now, whether they're the eight-year-old um, soccer player or the CEO, you know, there's some simple principles that if we can get them to understand or to follow, then it's going to create a significant change in their life. I mean, exponentially. Like I'm doing something right now on social media, which is a lot of fun. It's called high performance hacks. This is my way of giving back to the community some simple tips and tools that will position them for the best chance of success now. But also, as they, we approach the reentry process, they can apply it to their personal and professional lives. So one of the tips that's out there right now is a proper hydration principle. And people just don't know what they don't know. If you reduce your hydration by 3%, many things occur with your body that you could easily avoid, such as... You dehydrate the body by 3%. Your heart rate increases by approximately 10%. Your concentration and focus, they diminish significantly, which leads to stress-producing thoughts, which leads to anxiety, which leads to many other things. So we provide them with some simple tools and tips like that. But the key, again, is, you know, number one, as a coach, I'm a constant learner. I'm constantly reading books on the things that are going to improve productivity in my personal life and my professional life. The second thing is, you know, I do a lot of professional development. I, I go to professional development and my company provides professional development. I want to continue to grow and know. The other piece too, if you, when you, we talk in terms of being a, a spiritual leader, you know, 
I always tell folks this. I start my day with the Lord. I mean, I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes of my day working on my craft. And people ask me what business I'm in. Well, I'm in the business of doing God's business. So that first 15 minutes of that day, I commit myself to listening and thinking and praying and hearing from him, you know, so I can actually execute on that day. The other thing, too, is, you know, I would tell folks in this industry, stay away from mindless time wasting activities. They're not going to get you anywhere. You know, those things won't help you whatsoever. Um, and then practice your faith. You know, one of the things that <laughs> we have to do is we we have to learn how to practice our faith, which means to step out on faith, to try new things. You know, fear has a stranglehold on our country today and certainly now. And I tell folks, you cannot suppress fear. You have to learn how to expand your comfort zone. Number one, with the faith in Christ. But the other the other thing is to you have to learn how to stand outside of your fear. Play the what if game all the way out. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Well, what if you win? What if you're successful? What about that what if? You know, Scripture tells us to keep our, our thoughts on things that are excellent, beautiful, and worthy of praise. You know, that is so important for us on a, on a, on a daily basis. I would also tell coaches and leaders in any um, echelon, as a leader, we have to learn how to sell ourselves on ourselves, meaning that we're not afforded the luxury um, that maybe I'm going to use the term subcontractor employee has to kind of sort of have a bad day. No, we have to learn how to sell ourselves on ourselves, look at God's promises, and then get to work and do our jobs. You know, that's that's what I think um, leadership leadership does in a, in a strong way. Well, man, I loved your book, Think, Say, Do. I uh, wanted to dig in that for just a few minutes. So we start with that idea that you say in the book that there's this 5% that controls the other 95%. Tell me more why our thinking is so crucial to what we actually do. Well, David, that, I mean, Alan, that is a great question. There's a, there's a rule in my industry. It's called the 595 Rule of Human Performance. 95% of performance is physiological and five is psychological, but the five controls the 95. You know, our thoughts are so important. And our thoughts are neutral. We assign the value to our thoughts. As believers, we know that the mind is a battlefield. And it's easy for the enemy to set up camp in our minds. And oftentimes, you know, our habits, practices, and rituals are the things that we have to work on even more simply so that we can have some thought governance. So when I say that 5% controls a 95, here, here's what this kind of looks like from a neuroscience perspective. The brain processes between 45 and 60,000 thoughts per day and up to 80% of those are repetitive. So how would you know what you're thinking unless you learned how to manage or check in on your thoughts? And the, the term is, um, it's called metacognition, which simply means to think about thinking. You know, there are, some, there are some systems that we can put in place that will introduce us to our thoughts. And then we have the power to, if you look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it simply says that we can take command of our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. So that that civil war that takes place within us, we have the ability through the power of Christ to produce the outcome that we're looking for. 
but it takes practice, practice, practice. You know, our three-step approach in, in the book, Thinks They Do, is basically is, as I think I become, as I speak, I create, I do the work with passion, purpose, and enthusiasm. So that's kind of the top-down model that I use from a 595 rule of human performance and scripture to motivate, educate, and inspire anyone that I'm involved with to develop a sense of great expectations within themselves. So thinking is the first piece of that puzzle. If you, you want to have the right thought process and thought management is going to be incredibly critical. Thought management. I love that. We say, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Like, are you excited about this? Do you stay up at night thinking about it and dreaming about it, not just worrying about it? Do you hate going into this type of meeting? And we're just awful at that, especially leaders, Charmus. We're moving so fast and we don't pay attention to what we, we pay attention to. We don't think about our thinking and uh, many times our stinking thinking that's you know holding us back in so many ways. Um, what are one or two messages that you think are crucial to this book, Charmus? Um, I think one of the one message would be we are not the sum total of our of our life experiences. I think that we are the sum total of our thoughts. You know, scripture makes it very plain as a man thinketh so is he. We also understand from a neuroscience perspective that our thoughts have a lot to do with governing our lives. In fact, our thoughts will move in the our lives move in the direction of our thoughts and words. So I think one of the principles is, is that it's really imperative that we learn to pay attention to what's going on, you know, in our thought life. And we have some great tools in the book that will walk you through a complete AM ritual and a PM ritual. You know, the second thing that I would share is that when we look at our lives from the perspective of, let me just say, where we are today, I believe that we can disrupt the systemic cycles of our faulty thinking and we can swing for the fence, making each day a glorified exhibition of brilliance if we're willing to practice our faith, train our minds and condition them for success, and if we're willing to do the work. And I think that my life has been a great example, Alan, um, and it gives, I give all the glory to God in this conversation. But I give, you know, I would look at my life some 45 years ago. Who would have thought that the Lord would have preserved me for such a time as this and allowed me to navigate the, the death of a son, a divorce, a loss of job, and for a period of time being without a home? Who would have thought that the fact that my, my dad had made a poor choice and shot my mom and my brother made a poor choice and he shot and killed a man, and I would come out of this whole thing the way that I am with the tenacity of David and the power of Samson and the wisdom of Solomon, who'd have thought? So when we think about our life experiences, I would encourage anyone listening to this to see it this from this perspective. If you can look at your life experiences, whether they're positive or negative or whatever the case may be, and see it as equity over time, it's just like a mortgage. At some point, you have equity in your home, and you can pull upon that equity anytime you need it to use it for what you need it for. So at 58, I would look back at my life and go, man, what equity have I developed over the last 58 years? And then how do I choose to use that equity? 
Well, I choose to use that equity to pour in other people's lives because now I can. I have a credible story on how God pulled me through. I have a credible story on the trials and the struggles and the, and the embracing the grind and those kinds of things. So when I think about Think, Say, Do, I wrote the first book for the secular community, but just recently released my latest book. It's Think, Say, Do, A Believer's Guide to Becoming a High-Performance Christian. And Alan, I know you love that title, High Performance. Um, it doesn't. It just simply means that we're cut from a, a different uh, uh, cloth, and that the trials that we've encountered have introduced us to our strengths, much like the Apostle Paul and many others in Scripture. And that because of our experiences, and because of our love for Christ, and because we're willing to walk with Him through the good times and the bad. He has really separated us from the pack, and we can swing for the fence every single day if we operate in faith and we operate in truth and we operate in trust. So the messages of Think, Say, Do is this. It's really, I think we're the sum total of our thoughts. I think that either by choice or circumstance or both, we have, we're in a position that we're in, and our perspective will help us determine which direction we're going to go. But ultimately, as long as we have one breath left in us, we have the capacity not just to change our own personal uh, lives, but we can also change this world. Yes. We, we've always said, Charmist, at Stay Forth Designs, where does high capacity and healthy meet? And, and it's like there are these two circles. And when they come together, we see the middle, that overlap in the Venn diagram. That is where healthy and high capacity meet. It's possible. And too many times we've been sold the lie that you either have to choose health and just sort of live a monastic life out in the middle of nowhere uh, and you know, not impact anyone or impact people, but unfortunately leave your soul in the dust, you know, lose your soul in the process, uh, impact the whole world, but not be able to maintain your heart for Jesus. And we just don't believe that. We believe those can come together. Now it's a fine path. So I think that's why we get along. I think that's why we connected your stories is incredible. And I was drawn by that, but how practical and spiritual can meet. And many times we think the productivity hacks over here, the only way to do it. Um, and then maybe over here it's, well, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I just don't know how to take my next step. I believe that we should, as people of Jesus, be pushing into the most practical ways, be figuring out how to steward our time the best. And what does that look like to actually marry those together? I see you doing a lot of that. Uh, we're interested in so many similar things. Charmis, what would you say the relationship is between health and impact? Oh, my gosh, man. Alan, I tell you what, having a healthy, vibrant spirit is, is the most important thing you can have, quite frankly, when it comes to health. And I'm going to use the term productivity. Um, and you're absolutely right. When we look at this, this, I'm going to say the chasm that some people see between, I'm going to use the term high performance and um, trying to follow a strong spiritual Christian model. I think that there is a place for both. And I really think that when you can see it from that perspective, you can actually, you're going to be more productive. Um, there are so many ways, Alan, that we can support our community and support our leaders by giving them the, the simple processes that will help them take the, I mean, the baby steps to improve overall productivity. You know, so Alan, for you, I know you fairly well since we've met a couple of times. You're the kind of guy that I see who doesn't see life as a marathon, you see life as a series of sprints. So if we look at the perspective of life as a series of sprints, 
you can run a sprint, a world-class sprint every day, basically back-to-back days with the right recoveries. You can't run a marathon every day. So high performers see life as a series of sprints and not as a marathon. So they, they, look, at, they look at time in a different way. The other piece is this. High performers, they manage their energy, not time. You can't manage time. It's 24 hours in a day. So when you're managing energy, it's really based on priorities. You put your energy where the priorities are and you remove the distractions that are going to take you away from the success model the Lord has for us. So I think being healthy, is, there's a direct correlation between healthy and being effective in ministry and effective in leadership and those other things. And I would even say this, Alan. So when we work with our CEOs and executive directors, or if it's an athlete in the NFL, the very first thing we do is we give them a full-blown assessment. We do a physical assessment, nutritional assessment. We want to determine where they are physically before we do anything else. So we can then move them forward in a, in a highly productive way. You train a CEO nowadays like you would train an NFL quarterback. I mean, because it's, it can be that stressful, but you also teach them tools to decompress and disassociate themselves from the world. Again, life is a series of sprints. At least that's how we see it. It's not a marathon. Big bouts of energy with big bouts of recovery. That's a good way to think about it. And it's interesting how I almost think that way each day. And then I look forward to that time to you know sit around the fire pit with friends or have a long family dinner. And even that as recovery. I think about Sabbath and how without that, I don't know that we could do this. I just don't know that we could continue to put that wear and tear on our hearts, our minds, our souls each week without having this one day where we just simply are not in charge of the world and realize, oh yeah, we weren't all week long either. So man, so good. We could talk for such a long time here, Charmus. We always want to get really practical here on this last question and ask, you mentioned hydration earlier. Um, you mentioned some of the mindset practices that you have, but what are some practices you have for keeping healthy in any area of life that would be helpful for our listeners to know? Um, the practices that I would, that I have are the first hour of the morning. Um, Alan, I do not address any kind of technology. You know, I don't want to make any extra decisions. I don't want to put my energy any other place other than with what's important at that time. That's going to be my higher powers, Jesus Christ and my, and my wife. So I would say one of the practical tips is this, you know, do not embrace technology within the first hour upon awakening. Secondly, there is a great AM ritual where upon awakening, instead of communicating anything outwardly or anything like that, lay still in that bed for just a few seconds and silence your mind and pay attention to your internal narrative. You can determine many things based on that internal narrative. We call this finding your blueprint background in the morning. And if your first three thoughts aren't what they, what you want them to be, I'm going to use the term productive, then take the time to learn how to adjust those thoughts. And here's an example. It's one of the HPHs that I have out on social media right now that's great for believers. Fun awakening, I don't say a word. I, I know that there's a small civil war that's taking place in my mind, so I have to just be silent. And after about 30 seconds or so, I insert my own words. My three favorite words are powerful, impactful, and purposeful. And, you know, it takes a while for you to get to that place where when you wake up and you have those words and that thought process, but you can do it through practice. 
once I have those three thoughts in my mind, then I actually speak them into existence. I will actually articulate the words powerful, impactful, and purposeful. But Alan, what I do is I put the words I am in front of them. You know what that means. I am is a very powerful terminology. So I say I am powerful, I am impactful, and I am purposeful. And when I speak, I create, and I begin to change the environment just based on the power that the Lord has given me. I think that if we pay attention to our AM ritual, we stay away from technology, we begin to pay attention to our internal narrative, and we begin to speak the truth into existence, the things that the Lord has shared with us about ourselves, not that freeloader that wants to live in our minds. It's amazing how we can then set the tempo and press the agenda for the day. Um, the last piece I would say is that with that ritual, which all this information is in Things They Do, by the way, Alan, once I've shared my, my thoughts and I've communicated, I call it deploying my words, I express my gratitude. I express my gratitude for having one more day, for having a fantastic wife, for be given a second chance. And I, I, I just express my gratitude to the Lord for the person that he's created me to be. And then I ask for his encouragement and his strength to be that person that he wants me to be or, or what he's designed me to be. So between hydration and thought management, it'll take you a long way, big time. That's great, man. Well, Charmus, thanks so much for what you do, for who you coach and inspire. And I'm so glad that you didn't give up on the dream that God put inside of you, even as a little boy. You knew that God had unique things he had designed you for. It's incredible to see your impact, man. Keep coaching, keep learning, and keep writing. Appreciate you, man. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Well, hey, guys, we hope that you found today's podcast episode practical and that you found something in within this content that you could apply. Maybe something convict you. Maybe something jumped out at you and you were like, you know, I need to do this or I can do that or I've been neglecting this for a while. Whatever it is, we hope that this was encouraging for you. It was real and it is going to help you take your next step towards getting healthy and reaching more impact. Um, do us a favor, head over to HealthyLeadersSummit.com and check out information about our upcoming Healthy Leaders Summit in the fall. Uh, that's October. October 5th through 8th, we are creating a space to bring leaders together, to grow, to avoid burnout, to conquer overwhelm so that we can lead healthy. There is a wave of burnout coming as we navigate the complexities of what it looks like to lead on the other side of this thing called COVID, which has changed everyone's lives. The world is still spinning. Leadership is not going to stop. It's changing. And we are going to be more overwhelmed and we see it coming and we want to help you navigate that with courage and confidence. So head over to HealthyLeadersSummit.com and check out information. We will be releasing more information in the coming days. But for now, there's a lot there and we want you to check it out. Uh, do us a favor, leave us a rating and review on iTunes and share this podcast episode and any others with a friend. Invite them into this space with you. We grow best when we grow together. And inviting people into the conversations with you is a way for you to grow together, whether it's with a friend, a spouse, a coworker, someone on your team. So do that. You can catch us every Tuesday and Thursday right here, wherever you're listening right now, where podcasts are consumed. We are thankful for you. We are praying for you. And we will see you right back here on the next episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. So long.